Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Just Mercy, and I'm very happy to be joined by my old law school classmate and friend, Paige White. Paige, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Paige is a friend of mine from law school who went off and did something much more admirable than I did when I graduated <laughs> law school. She went and she became a public defender, so I thought she'd be a uh, a great guest to have for this movie, Just Mercy, which is tells the story of Brian Stevenson, who uh, wrote a book called Just Mercy based on his experiences, because uh, not long after he graduated Harvard Law School, he went and he started an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama, which provides legal services to uh, people who might not otherwise afford them or might have been wrongly convicted and largely focuses on providing services to inmates on death row because Alabama is one of the few or maybe actually the only state, I think I might have seen that earlier, that does not provide assistance to death row inmates. And that is why they kind of strive to do that. Yeah. So in this movie, Brian Stevenson's played by Michael B. Jordan, and it focuses on Brian Stevenson's representation of a man named Walter Johnny D. McMillan, played by Jamie Foxx, who was wrongfully convicted of murdering a woman named Rhonda Morrison and the only witness was a, a sketchy white guy with a very sketchy criminal past. And uh, Brie Larson plays a woman named Ava Ansley, who is based on a true person that helps uh, run the EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative. Paige, I guess what I first want to ask you is, uh, when did you first become aware of Brian Stevenson? And just uh, how meaningful is the was the work he did to you as you were someone that was considering going into the career that you went into? Well, so that's a really good question. I really don't know how I learned about Brian Stevenson. I want to say that it was during my last year of law school because I remember that's when I was reading the book was while I was interning um, in D.C. and was reading and was working at the public defender's office up here, I had heard some people talking about a man, Brian Stevenson. And this was shortly after I had read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. Um, So I was very into learning about different facets of the criminal justice system, at least with um, Michelle Alexander. Her book is all about um, the mass incarceration system. But then Brian Stevenson kind of took it a step further. And we're talking about what happens once you're, beyond prison and you're actually your life is actually that we're trying to kill you <laughs> essentially the system is trying to kill you and so i thought that that would be a really great book to read right. i really can't remember how i came in touch <laughs> with him but i know that it was through conversations yeah with people, yeah. You know, I, that's probably about when I kind of became aware of who he was, too, because around that time when we were, like, kind of finishing law school was when, like, this movie yes. first – when this movie first got announced. It was, like, even before Michael B. Jordan became as big of a star as he was when he did yes. Black Panther because I remember it being announced before then because uh, Destin Cretton, who actually wrote and directed this movie, he wrote and directed my fa- one of my favorite movies of the 21st century called Short Term 12. And, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, have you ever heard of that movie? I, ha- I have heard about I'm it, actually, but I've never seen it. Yeah, I don't want to ramble too much because I actually talk about it a lot on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's a movie about, like, you know, uh, a facility. It's based on the Destin Cretton's true life experiences working at a uh, short-term care facility for at-risk youth. So not even, like, a oh, foster wow. care facility, but, like, somewhere where kids might go, like, teenagers might go if they have a parent that, like, is unable to take care of them for whether it be health reasons or, like, other personal health or uh, criminal problems or whatever reason a parent can't be in the picture, the kid goes there. And that was Brie Larson's breakout role, but it also like, was like Lakeith Stanfield's first role and, and actors like that that had become like a really big deal. And so I was like really excited to see him teaming up with Michael B. Jordan, who I've been a fan of for a really long time. And I, I began to read about Brian Stevenson. I was like, wow, this is like 
pretty legit stuff and probably pretty worthy of a movie. And uh, yes. what did you? So what did you think then when you first kind of saw like, wow, this is like, you you found his book and were you like, wow, I could see this being a movie, or was it like, wow, like this is like such a powerful book in and of itself. I don't even know if I'd need a movie. That's it. So that's definitely more where I aligned after right. reading the book. It was just so powerful. And Brian talks about so many, his evolution into creating the equal justice initiative. And even, you know, the, the movie does a good job in capturing the main stories, but Brian talks about so many different clients that he helped with Walter McMillan being like the main, um, the main story throughout, but there's so many other, little stories that help you understand who he is, what he does and why he does it. So when I read the book, I was just in awe. I remember finishing it thinking that it was the best book I ever read. I remember posting every single time I was done with a chapter, just (laughs) writing down all the different quotes. I felt, I felt like I was annotating it, like almost how we annotate cases with the different highlighters and everything. And so I ended up closing it and reading it again because <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that what I read was real. And and if I missed anything and when I read it again, there was more that I didn't pay attention to the first time. And it was it's just an amazing and powerful book and so dense. I Whenever I heard that it was being turned into a movie, I was very skeptical. <laughs> um and was nervous that Hollywood wouldn't be able to pull off what Brian Stevenson did in his book. Well, I think it's really interesting that you say that because I actually think the best parts of the movie are when it actually kind of focuses on some of these like other characters and like these guys interacting on death row together, because mm-hmm. like, you know, as like the movie viewer, when you go into it, like it's kind of clear from the very beginning, like Walter McMillan's innocent. Like there's not like a lot of suspense and something like that. Like you kind of know that this is, that, ah, there you go. We, we, already, we have, we already had the first cameo from, uh, you, pa- pa- from Kigo. Uh, pa- just Kigo. yeah. Uh, you know, he, he feels very strongly about criminal justice reform. I guess. He does. He does. Uh, uh, but no, but so it's, it's pretty cool in the, in the movie, like they found other ways to make the story compelling where it's like, you kind of know that Walter's going to get a happy ending when you're going to that movie. Like you don't think you're going to see a movie where this guy's just not going to get off. I think most people that are seeing it probably know this is based on a true story. And this guy is still successfully doing this. They're not going to focus on a failure of his, but at the same time, I I, I like what you said about how the book focuses a lot on just like what motivates Brian and how he got to what he did, because I don't know if I can even uh, capture in words just how wild it actually is, like the life choice that Brian Stevenson made at the, yeah, when he graduated law school. Uh, oh, definitely. Like, I mean, like, De- we, we, didn't, we, we didn't go to Harvard, but like, we know enough people <laughs> from those circles to know, like, just how much money he could have been making doing something else, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just, I mean, for him to be that young and to make a decision to do that kind of work, public defense is already very emotional, very difficult work. We already know that the criminal justice system is rigged in a way so that it makes it difficult for people who are black and brown and who are of lower income communities to get any type of representation. So public defense, I thought, in my mind, was the pinnacle of this is the most that we can do. This is the most emotional work. And he really took it a step forward and not just a step, but I'd say he took an airplane over that line. I really could not imagine before I read the book what kind of emotional toll that kind of work would take. And as I iterated before, it's really, really the conversations that he had with himself 
throughout the book that helped make it so powerful. Yeah, and I, well, I, again, I actually haven't read the book, but, like, in the movie, even just showing, like, the brief interactions he has with his family before, I think it's very important that they make it clear that he's from Delaware, which, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about later on about just how maybe the movie kind of, like, lets the North off the hook a little bit. Like, it kind of, like, yeah. makes it seem like this, some of this stuff is almost just, like, something that only happens in the South when that's not the case. But his, fam- his family, though, even if they are well, are... Uh, not naive. I'm sure they know racism exists even in the North. They probably see the South as like something way worse than where they are at that moment. So he's, he's leaving his family who knows that he could probably go to like uh, even in, in 1989 to a six-figure job, which is like just a lot, even if you're low six figures. And right. they, they know he's passing that up to go to Deep South. And right. like I like movies that like can get the point across without giving you like way too much exposition they get to the meat of the movie but you get just how scared his family probably understandably is and they like why did you go through like the trouble of going to this ivy league school if you're just going to go do that and it's like it's an interesting dilemma just to think about well and i a point that you made and i think that that's what the movie did a really good job of is there's a lot of times that movies will drag on points Mm -hmm. and go go and take a very different and long and convoluted way to make a simple point. It really, this movie really did jump right into the meat of the issue, right in the opening credits. You know, you find out two minutes in that a man is arrested and that he's now put on death row. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked, uh, that was a shock to me because I found that movies, that a lot of movies now don't do that. And so I really enjoyed that we got right to the heart of the story and that the entire movie was based on this story and we didn't have to do a lot of the unnecessary buildup. Yeah, it, it it really it really gets right to it. I, I, it's kind of cool that he even got to touch that kind of work as a uh, as like a summer, a summer associate or not a summer as a summer intern, and and that's where he gets his first taste of it. And he is like motivated to go right back down there. And they get back down there within the first twenty minutes of the movie, like you said, and you're just right in it. I mean, he has some very uncomfortable scenes like the first one where i'm sure that's based on something that really happened like where you get strip search is that in the book yes so that is in the book and that actually happened to him several times and so i was i was actually so pleasantly surprised that they opened up with that scene because it was a powerful scene for him in the book that he was an intern that he was supposed to tell this man that he was not supposed to be executed he was not expecting this man to react the way that he did which was being so joyful and so thankful and that he thought that he was going in there for a five to ten minute conversation and ended up staying for three hours all of that stuff is true and that so they had been talking for several hours and a guard came in and was upset and was really I, I don't know what other word to say, but manhandling yeah. this you, you know, his client. And instead of getting upset, the man throws his head back and starts singing a southern gospel hymn. Hmm. And so the the way that he paints it in the book is very eerie, how he's walking down the hallway and singing the hymn and how he can hear it ringing in his ears. And I really I, I thought that the they did a very good job of having that be the opening scene because that really, you don't get that until the middle of the book. Really? And so, yeah. And so that was really, that was a really interesting stylistic choice. And I, and I like it Um, because it's, it's a very powerful moment when you see that something, something that he thought was going to be so heavy and so hard for someone to hear 
was not, it wasn't that heavy. And he was so happy and so delighted to see him. And all he wanted to do was talk to him. Mm-hmm. And he, like I, someone I talked to, talk to him like he was a real person. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's funny that we say that, but you know, it, it happens every day where these inmates and I, I hate the I word and the C word convicts, but for a lack of a better words, people who are incarcerated, they really aren't treated as people. And so it, at least a lot of what a lot of the joy that has come from my work is actually treating these people as people and then really getting having them open up to you and talk to you and share their stories. Um, it really does give you it really does help you understand that these people are more than what they seem to be. That was actually my next question for you. I mean, I, I, I know that your your experiences probably uh, as a public defender probably uh, vary from the different types of levels you've been at as far as the type of crimes you've defended. And uh, But, like, I'm sure you know more about death row than your average podcast listener or movie podcast <laughs> listener. And I'm curious, like, what do you think the biggest misconception about that is? Because I've learned a lot more about it just, over, just since I started law school. Like, as far as, like, the biggest misconception that people maybe have about what a death row inmate, who a death row inmate actually is. Oh, well, so I, (laughs) it's it's interesting because when I was growing up and this, I am, I wouldn't say ashamed, but it is very interesting how this evolution began because I wanted to be a prosecutor up until I went to law school. That was what I wanted to do. And so if you ask me what a death row inmate looked like or who they were, I'd say it was some type of murderer, some type of killer, some type of person who maybe had gone through something bad or wrong in their life, but had done something really wrong and that they needed to pay for it. And that was kind of it. Um, and then through, you know, me coming to the epiphany that everything that I had been taught was a lie and that the criminal justice system is just so racist and targeted towards people who are poor, or people of color, you, you, right. People of people of color and people who are poor. And I, and, but I've really learned that first of all, death row is interesting, but death row is a place that a lot of people who are incarcerated want to be because you get a lot of rights in terms of like um, how often you are let outside, um, in terms of leisure activities, in terms of the different resources that are provided to them. I've watched several different documentaries and read several different studies about how people, there have been several people who were. Um, in prison and who have committed crimes so that they can be on death row because the resource because the resources are so much better. Huh. But even more than that, just talking, you know, I've dealt with a lot of different cases and I've I've only been practicing for four years, but dealt with a lot of different cases with a lot of different crimes where I think society would say, I this is a bad person. And I'm no different than anybody else. Uh, Like if I see a sex case or a rape case, my initial thought is going to be, oh man, what happened? But when you really get to know these people, you find out that they're scholars, they're writers, they're poets, they're fathers, they're brothers, they're husbands, and people with real lives and real life experiences. And when you are able to dig a little deeper and kind of figure out how we got to this point. Um, I think that that's the most compelling part of 
being in this type of work. Yeah, I think it's interesting you said you went through a kind of evolution and you ended up doing that kind of work. I, I don't do that kind of work, but I, I think I went through a similar evolution with the death penalty as well, just based on things I've learned over the last six years since we started, seven years since we started law school, where like I used to think like, I, I, I think I was a little more, I don't know what the right term would be, but maybe just not as empathetic or not as, uh, didn't think not, not Definitely. as deep, deep of a thinker about this kind of thing. Even my, my, my mom was a little more enlightened on the subject than me. And I would say, uh, she, <laughs> she would just be like, I just don't ever, I, she would say something like, I just don't ever think I'd accomplish anything to take another life, which I was like, mom, that's too simplistic. Someone just might be a straight up murderer. And you can, like, right. I, I don't really care if they die. Like I'm, I used to maybe think about it like that. And I didn't think that much more about the death penalty than that. I'm like, it just makes sense. Like they should die right. if they killed someone who right. really cares. And right. I, I just never really considered it beyond that. And then I, I just learned more in law school and over the last few years that like one, you know, I mean just how many people get wrongfully convicted and you, you can't just like have a, you got to have some kind of like standard. And I mean, I, I used to think, well, yeah, I mean, people get wrongfully convicted, but can't you just like make an exception if they're like blatantly caught on video shooting someone? I'm like, and then I, right. that was how naive I was. And I'm like, right. That's never really the case. Like you don't often catch someone on video just straight up shooting someone. Like the law is the law and like the law should probably be a bit smarter than that. And I mean, the law the, the fact is like the rate of wrongful convictions is too high to like actually let the death penalty be a thing and and, and then there's also the case of you're, you're mentioning about the kind of resources that get devoted to death row mm-hmm. uh, it, it's more expensive to keep someone on death row for 30 years than it is to put someone in prison for life right absolutely I mean, absolutely uh, so there's just like so many reasons not to have it be a thing but at the same time i i still had that thought in my back of my head it was like you know like maybe someone should just die if you know they did it and i think the best part about this movie is you know the the, the performance that rob morgan gives us herbert richardson uh yeah who is the one character in the movie where it's like undisputed that he actually did kill someone and i think the biggest accomplishment that this movie does is make a case through that character in that performance that like even if someone killed someone you shouldn't just like stop stop thinking about the value of their life at that point you should think more about the circumstances that actually led to that action even occurring and i mean he was a guy that had like problems through serving in the military and the country kind of like didn't do right by him and you think of all those circumstances and you're like wow this this guy probably should have like uh, they should probably should have taken more care and thought into what went into this decision and ultimately he's the one that they aren't able to save and it's pretty heartbreaking and it's kind of impressive though that the movie kind of like makes the case for the value of life for someone who you know did take a life right and i think and so this the good part about the book and is that it gives you so much more background about these characters. Mm-hmm. And the movie did such a good job, it, I, I agree with you 100%, of conveying it in a quick way because his character was more of a supporting role. Um, but exactly what you said, you know that he killed somebody. You know that he did it. He's there. But you feel very compassionate for him. and you feel, And you really do feel whenever he's being put to death that this shouldn't be happening. And I think that it really shows truly how sadistic the death penalty can be. You know, the fact, the fact that, um, there's a room for people to watch and, and, and things of that nature, it's very sadistic and, and very just cruel and yeah, on the one hand i think inmates i think inmates do get a choice if they want certain people to attend and those people will attend but at the same time it feels very icky that there are people that like are not there by the choice of the inmate and they just are there to watch yeah. it's like this feels yeah. even like, even yeah. like media yeah. people so, it's like why does the media need to be there like i don't exactly exactly and so and so the thing is that anytime someone is put to death whoever the victim was in the underlying case can have you know they choose 
you know, the family chooses who they want to be there. And typically it's the prosecutor and then mother, father, whoever of that victim. And then, you know, the person who's being put to death gets a certain number of people being there. But it's just so for for us to be in 2020 and for us to be America in a first world country, I'm so confused as to why this is happening why it's still legal, why people are still supporting it. And I think that the movie did such a good job of truly exposing just how barbaric it really is. Well, I like, well, I like that you made that point because the fact is it's, it's somehow 2020 and it's, for lack of a better term, the drug cocktail that they might use for that is like, yes. it's, 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 it's like less efficient and less effective than ever. And yes. uh, this movie, this movie clemency that I, I mentioned to you that I just saw, it didn't get, a, it didn't get as wide a release as it should have, but it, it largely focuses on death row from the perspective of this warden played by Alfred Woodard. And it's like the, the, one of the big scenes in the movie is just like how screwed up the actual execution is. And that was a point that I forgot to make when I was talking about reasons to not be for the death penalty is that right. it, it, it doesn't actually just like, it's not as it's not so simple as just injecting three drugs and it's done and it's it's so weird that it's like we're in 2020 and the drugs are not as readily available i guess that need to be there and uh and there's just like so many factors that go into like the executions like not being as humane as they might have even been 15 years ago it's very weird yes yes and it's i mean it's scary it's scary that in 2020 not i mean before 2020 we're able to send people to the moon and then bring them back but we're not able in the 60s we did that right right we did that in the 60s and so and so my thing is i have i the only thing that i can default to is that it's it's not important enough it's not important enough for the state and for the federal government to make sure that if this policy is going to be in place that whatever we inject into these people is actually is, is is actually going to put them to death in this quick and painless way that we say it will. It's it's almost like we're saying we're going to put you to death. We don't know how we're going to put you to death. It might it might be a botched death. You may die very slowly and very painfully, but that is what we've deemed you worthy of. And that's and that's a problem. Yeah, and I think it's it's impressive that the movie like cuz like I said, the movie is not like a it's not a mystery or it's not like a legal thriller where you don't know how it's going to end and you're very on the edge of your seat because how is this courtroom going to play out? You kind of know what's going to happen to Walter. So I think it's really important that it like gets these uh, it, it gets these points across to the audience, which gives the movie a lot more value than it would be if it was simply just a courtroom drama about the story of Brian Stevenson and Walter McMillan. And right. that's why I think it's really impressive that it has these scenes on death row. It shows these inmates interacting. I really like the performance O'Shea Jackson Jr. gives, who, I mean, a lot of people might know, you know from – a lot of movies just in the last few years since he played his dad in uh, Straight Outta Compton. He was really funny in Longshot last year. He was funny in Ingrid Goes West. He's done a lot of comedies, and I was like, yes. wow, this guy was like actually a very sympathetic character uh, just literally when he was only framed from like this one camera angle behind bars, and I really liked the performance he gave, and I was I was glad the movie went there. One other thing, I, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about before I talk to you more broadly about just these performances. Sure. Uh, what did you think about just how, it, uh, how the movie framed uh, Brian's time specifically just we, we talked about like him having to go through the problem of like a strip search but it kind of makes it very clear that he uh encountered a lot of resistance in his yes. time going down there and i'm sure that was a big part of his book him conveying just like yes. how how tough it was to do this in this specific community uh how did you think the movie told that part of his story and you know i think i i can actually say that the movie did a fair job and mm-hmm. i'll explain why 
it, it it was very emotional reading it in the book. I there were st- I mean there were several chapters in the book that brought me to tears or caused me to like put the book down and have me really think about the work that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But the movie actually did not do a bad job and I'll say this because I'm very quick to say that a movie did not encapsulate a book the way that it is because many times it doesn't. But when Michael B. Jordan is being strip searched and when the guard actually just laughs in his face, like how slowly he made him take off each piece of clothing, how he made him take off his undergarments, how he wanted him to bend over and then just laughed in his face. I thought that that part, it was that emotion of just pure humiliation was completely conveyed from the book. It was very, um, also, it was very uncomfortable to watch, and I think that was the point. Is that that's exactly what it was. It was very uncomfortable to watch. You wanted it to end. You wanted to punch the guard in the face, and then you realized that he was just laughing at him, which I was not expecting. That part I don't remember in the book. I just remember him continuously being strip searched, and realizing that other people were not being strip searched whenever they were going in to see their clients, and that they were white white lawyers, mm. and so. I also think that him being pulled over by the police was a good job. I wish that they did a little bit more of that, but I understand in a movie context why they wouldn't and why they kept the main story on Walter. Well, I want to ask you about that, and we can talk a little more about Walter too, but like when you talk about maybe there like should have been more scenes like that, Oh, I guess it was. I wasn't even really thinking about that when uh, Brian got pulled over. I almost thought more about it, or maybe I did a little bit. And also when Walter got pulled over, but it was one of my things when I mentioned earlier about like maybe like kind of lets the North off the hook because I think when you see a movie like this, and it's inevitable because this is where this movie takes place and it's a true right. story. But that right. scenes like that feel very familiar. Like we've seen a lot of movies about racism in the South, more so yes. than racism in the North. I don't know if you, yes. I don't know if you saw Beale Street, if Beale Street could talk last yes. year, the Barry Jenkins yes, movie, I did. which I guess is different. Like I mean that that is a story about this kind of injustice taking place in the north so i shouldn't say those kind of stories don't get told but i do think when like not as much though yeah they 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 just don't get told as much because the south was just i mean not that the north wasn't as brutal i just think that the south was more blatant and it's funny because well also green Green book won the academy award last year i don't know if you saw green book oh Uh, yeah green book green book i thought was a phenomenal phenomenal movie but but it did the same it did a very similar thing Although it did tell the story of the of the Italian uh, racism that was in New York, yeah, it, it, that was there, but it made it. I, I feel my thing is that you know I I feel like sometimes when you see this the white Southern cop with the heavy Southern accent, yes. pull, pull over the black man and say, yes. uh, boy, what are you doing here? Or for for lack of a better term, it, you get that vibe watching it, and I feel like it almost mm-hmm. allows people from the North to look at a movie like that and then just kind of think. Well, yeah, that, that that stuff happens in the South. That kind of thing can't happen here. And De- definitely. I mean... And you, I, and you, I, you I obviously know otherwise. You've worked as a public defender in New York and Washington, D.C. You, you know that's not the case, but I feel like it does allow a certain contingent of white folks from the North to like kind of like shrug that off as like a Southern problem. And I'm like... Oh, absolutely. I, and I, I don't, absolutely. And I don't think that's this movie's responsibility to tell the Northern story, but I do, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, this is really familiar when I see that, and I hope that like those that Northern audience doesn't take that from this is a thought that goes through my mind when I'm watching a movie like this. I mean, I think, I I think that you're spot on though. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have said exactly that. Well, you know, Jim Crow, all of that racism was just in the South. It wasn't up here. And we know that that's not true. We know that that's not true now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we drove through 
small cities in Alabama, it's going to be a very different feel than, say, New York City. But I can tell you in New York City, racism still exists. It's just, I, I think that there's more, it's more subtle. And I, I think it's more subtle. Yeah. I, at least in the big cities that are predominantly blue and supposed to be liberal, it's still there. It's just more subtle. I think that the South just has that reputation of the Confederacy. And so there the North is going to say, you know, we we were fighting for freedom, we were fighting for slaves' freedom, and so that means that, you know, we were on the same side of justice all along when we know that that's not the case. Yeah, I know. I think it's just a thing. I, 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 I guess I went back and forth on whether or not it was, like, something that I wanted to call a criticism movie versus something I just want to bring to people's attention. Like, I, uh, right. wh- wh- whether, where it be wherever I write about this or wherever I talk about it, I, I, I kind of just, like, I, I want to highlight that point because I think Brian Stevenson's story is one worth telling, but I just want people to know that, like, his services aren't only needed in that part of the country, you know? Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. And he, I mean, he's, it's so funny because I had no idea who he was four mm, years ago, right. and now he's he's one of my heroes. I've seen him talk at least three different times, and I mean he's he's just a, such a powerful force. And his message, the the message of just giving mercy, just giving mercy to people who you might not like, but you you have to recognize that you don't understand. You also have to recognize that these people are people and that they are not the worst thing that they've ever been accused of doing. It, it, it really does cause you to pause and think about how you've been, I don't know, di- digesting everything yeah. that's thrown at you. Yeah. Two things. I'm glad you said it that way because, one, I hadn't really been planning on bringing up Short Term 12 again, the previous, uh, or two, the, 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 yes. the, the other movie from Destin Cretton that I really love. But a big part of that movie that resonates so much with me is that uh, you can't save everyone or you can't be everyone's hero. And yes, I, I, Brian Stevenson most certainly is a hero, but he, he can't get every single inmate off a of death row. But the fact right. is, uh, one of the points of Short Term 12 that is so meaningful to me is that you're not going to save and you're not going to be the biggest hero to every disadvantaged kid. But what you can do is you can just be there and you can talk to them and you can be a vessel for them to uh, actually uh, pour some of their problems into and be a, just a different kind of presence in their life than what they've had if they've had a troubled home life. And I think there is a parallel to this movie where, as you were mentioning earlier, even from Brian's very first conversation that you see in the movie, it's meaningful for someone just to be there and treat these people like human beings. And I think that's like a Absolutely. It's, it's a cool through line through uh, these two Destin Cretton movies. I actually didn't really like his movie he had in between these two, so I thought this was a little bit of a return to form, and I'm happy about that. But the other thing was, I'm glad you said that uh, you saw him in person a few times. The next thing I wanted to ask you about before we actually finished up was, uh, what did you think about Michael B. Jordan, actually, just overall, and how he captured <laughs> Brian Stevenson's essence? So I... <laughs> so first, I love Michael B. Jordan. He is beautiful. He's a wonderful actor. <laughs> I think that he's so versatile. I would have never cast him for this role. So when I found out that Michael B. Jordan was playing him, I was confused. I was scared. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if he'd be able to pull it off. I actually think that he did a decent job. I think that he... You, you can tell that he had studied Brian's mannerisms, right. for sure. And so you could see that throughout the book, and, and, and you note his, his mannerisms whenever he talks, the different hand motions he makes, um, and the rhythm of, of his speech pattern. But 
I, I actually thought that he did a good job, and I was not expecting that, to be honest. I really, <laughs> I, I had never seen Michael, jo Michael B. Jordan play this type of social justice role, and I, I was nervous if he would be able to pull off such a powerful person. But I think that he really he really captured the humility of Brian Stevenson, the compassion that he has, and really his mission of just helping others. I, I think he almost captured it a bit too <laughs> much. Like, he was very, very, very humble. Very, very, very nice. And there are times when Brian, at least in the book, just really either flies off the handle, um, which I know that he kind of did with the prosecutor in the case, but not not to the degree that that was described in the book. So all in all, I actually think that he did a, an okay job. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think that he did a good job. He did a lot better than I expected. Yeah, it was funny that you, you started off by saying he's a beautiful man. I cannot argue. I cannot argue with that, but it was funny because I was listening to this interview with Destin Cretton, and they filmed this movie right when he was coming off of Black Panther. And, I mean, oh. every, everyone has seen Black <laughs> Panther, and they know uh, just the kind of shape that he had to get in to be in that. And he's like, yes. and, and, and Destin Cretton was like, Man, like I don't know if like I really need a guy that's like this ripped to like play this lawyer. Like it seems kind of weird. And then and then Destin Cretton met Brian Stevenson and was like, and learned that even though Brian Stevenson is sixty years old, apparently he wakes up at like five a.m. every morning and works out. So like, uh, oh yeah, my, my, yeah. Michael, Michael B. Jordan didn't have to like get at like decrease his amount of fitness all that much to actually resemble <laughs> uh, Brian Stevenson's body type. So good for them on that. Apparently they weren't that off base on that. As funny as it might be to see this guy that was just like playing the the, this uh, very in-shape villain in a superhero movie playing a defense lawyer, but uh, apparently that wasn't actually that inaccurate. Also... He was he, he was definitely ripped. Yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah. noticed that whenever he was running. I was like, oh, he, he is very muscular. <laughs> uh, true. Uh, but, uh, but also, like, I, it is cool because, like, I mean, I... Or it's interesting to hear you talk about that as far as um, uh, whether or not he, like, where he got to, like, if you thought he was maybe a little too understated, because I've heard a couple other people making that criticism, because they're used to him giving these very charismatic performances, like when he was Killmonger in Black Panther, or when he was, right. playing, or when he was playing Adonis Creed in the Creed movies, uh, right. speaking of him having to be in shape. I, I was listening to a different podcast with just two people, one of whom has met Brian a few times, and was like, oh no, like, he actually is kind of, like, a little more mild-mannered. He's, he's not Johnny Cochran. You know, and I was like, okay, well, that's true. Maybe it makes sense that, like, Michael B. Jordan might give a more modulated performance. But it is interesting to hear you say that, yeah, he probably could have given a couple more, like, big bombastic moments and not been off yeah. base, which is just an interesting yeah. thing because, you know, he's a guy that, like, I actually think he should have been nominated for an Academy Award for playing Killmonger in Black Panther. That was an incredible Definitely. performance. And that movie got a lot of Academy Awards as it was. And I was, like, very mad that he didn't. But, like, when you see, oh, this young actor who has done some very impressive things is going to play this, like, iconic civil defense the civil rights attorney like you would think that like oh he wants to get an oscar and the fact that like they didn't give him those massive scenes it's like oh right. well that's in that's an interesting choice maybe that's very accurate so i find it it's just interesting that you say that it's like oh they could have gone for a couple more big moments with this performance and they didn't which i just i, I think that's interesting i don't think it really hurts the overall quality of the movie all that much but no. i think, it, I think no. it's interesting that you say that's a thing they could have done and it would not have been inaccurate well, and I and and I think that it really goes to focus on the quality of his work. I, you know, I'm guessing I'm guessing that this was a strategic decision. Yeah. Decision. You have, you know, these amazing directors and producers, and so I, it, it really did cause you to focus on on what he was doing, and mm -hmm. have and at many times ask yourself, 
Why is he doing this? Why is he still fighting? Why is he still going so hard? Instead of him being the central, ha having to put himself out there as a central character, he kind of did that without having to do that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and I'm, I'm I th I think it was a, a very solid performance, and I'm glad that he's doing stuff like this and uh, wants to challenge himself with these kind of roles instead of just being like I'm going to do superhero movies every time, or because he actually does have like a big uh, military exactly. action movie coming out for his next one. Uh, we talked about uh, Rob Morgan and O'Shea Jackson Jr. We actually didn't talk about that much about Jamie Fox, and he's gotten more like recognition than almost any of the actors in this movie. I thought it was a very uh, empathetic performance and a very uh, moving performance that he gave as Walter. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that. That, but I just thought, like, you know, uh, he's a guy that's he's, – he's won an Academy Award, and he's uh, yes. very decorated, and he, he's, like, done a lot he, of different things. I was like, okay, this is an interesting choice you're making, and I think he was he, solid. good, yeah. Yeah, he, he was definitely solid. There was nothing bad about his performance. I think that he delivered – exactly what he was supposed to yeah well i'm I, I, well, that's funny that you say he's solid because I, I mean i actually thought he was really good but you know that's actually the way i would have described brie larson who i really love like i said she was amazing in uh destin Cretton's movie short term 12 and uh i don't need an actress that's like that famous who's not southern than being right. like the white southern lady in a movie that would have been perfectly fine if it was like some interesting actress that actually was more genuinely southern that i'd never seen before because you just have her, who everyone knows so well from other things, having to put on a southern accent, which actually yeah. did bother me a little bit because it's like <laughs> you could you could have had some other actress that is like from somewhere that's not the South then doing it, and I wouldn't have been none for the wiser. But instead, I'm like, I know this is just like some famous right. actress that is friends with the director, playing like this woman with a very hard southern accent, and it was a little distracting. They're like, I still think she's a great actress. No, yeah, she's a great actress. Her I, her her performance. I think that she did an, a great job of being a supporting role. I, yeah. Her southern accent was certainly off, <laughs> but I, I do think that she she was a very strong figure to me. She yeah. gave off she to me gave off a stronger a stronger performance in terms of the oomph that we were talking about with Michael B. Jordan. I think that she gave more of a more of a powerful performance. Than him. Well, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you did appreciate what you did. And and the accent stuff might just bother people like us more that have spent a lot of time <laughs> that that have spent a lot of time in the South. Right. Uh, uh, before we before we get before we sign off, Paige, was there uh, anything else about this movie that you wanted to talk about that I did not ask you about? Any other important points you wanted you felt the need to make? I think that in closing, I'll just say one of my favorite um, Brian Stevenson quotes, which is, mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it's, directing at, when, when it's directed at the underserving. The people who haven't earned it, who haven't sought it, are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. And so I think, I think that the movie did such a good job of, of, of showing that, of demonstrating that. And I, I'm so glad that this really powerful book has been put out to a broader and mass media and mass, yeah. you know, that, that, that it's been put out to such a large population of people. And I hope that, I, I really do hope that people are able to watch the movie and think about how they think about 
you know, the quote-unquote criminals or people who are incarcerated, um, and that we can all just have a little bit more mercy and compassion for everyone. No, it's very well said. I completely agree. I don't even have a better note to end on than that. Uh, one thing I normally have my guests do at, the, at this part of the podcast is uh, plug anything else you want to plug. You just plugged a very powerful Brian Stevenson quote, but sometimes they'll plug their Twitter account, their Facebook account, their uh, Letterbox account, or uh, something else they're watching that they want people to watch. Do you have any other things you want to promote yourself? Or you can be a blank slate if you want. That's perfectly fine as well. I guess just my Instagram, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is turn the page. Uh, T-U-R-N-D with two E's, T-H-E-E, and then page P-A-I-G-E-E. Um, and otherwise, I'm just reading The Water Dancer right now by Tanashi Coates. Um, what, what is that? I mean, I, uh, I mean... I've, I, I'm a big fan of his writing when he writes online for The Atlantic and stuff like that, but I, yes. didn't, I didn't know. He had, is that a new book he has out? And it's, it's fairly new. I believe it came out last year. So it's, it's about a young boy who was born into bondage and his family is trying to escape. So I just started the book yesterday. Apparently, it's gotten amazing reviews. My boss told me to read it. And so that's the only affirmation that I need, that it's a great book. And so I that's that's what I'm working. That's what I'm trying to work through right now, and I hope to be posting uh, my feelings about it on Facebook and Instagram soon. Awesome. Well, that, I'm glad. That's really cool because, like, I well, I'm glad you actually like will be able to post that on your Instagram, which you already plugged. But you know, I I, I get people plugging TV shows and movies all the time. But I'm very happy to mix in a book. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for doing that. Uh, as usual, if anyone, I'm not going to plug anything specific as far as movies or TV shows because I'm already talking about that stuff enough here. But if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, it's at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. The podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. The podcast Gmail is Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com if you want to send us your feedback. And uh, coming up next, on the podcast you'll you can look out for episodes about uh birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn and uh miss americana we're gonna have an uh episode about the uh taylor swift documentary that just came out on netflix and uh one on uh the uh newest uh, movie in the series of to all the boys i've loved before another netflix movie uh, so we're just uh well yeah. i shouldn't say it's another to all the boys hey look we're we we, we contain multitudes here at the rewind page i know it might seem I weird that it. we're doing a doing a rom-com but it's to all the boys p.s i still love you sorry <laughs> they couldn't just call it to all the boys too they got to give it something weird but that's it so i have an episode on that too so everyone stay tuned for that thanks again so much to Paige for joining me and thank we'll you. and we'll see you next time thank you